Welcome to the Combinate Podcast, where we talk pharma, med device, combo products, and everything in between with leaders in the industry. Now on to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome to the Combinate Podcast. Today, we're honored to have uh, our guest, Rick Doe. Uh, Rick and I met uh, maybe seven or eight years ago uh, when we were both working at a, a large medical device company together. And uh, Rick is one of those people that, from a, from a personal impact, <laughs> uh, has made a huge one. Uh, I remember sitting down with him uh, in, in the cafeteria and, you know, talking about uh, my health and wellness, and he uh, really pushed me to join him to work out. And one workout became two, and two became three, and uh, we became friends. And we got closer and closer over time. And he's uh, he's someone I really look up to. And so, you know, like I said, I'm I'm really honored to have him on the podcast today. Uh, Rick, can you can you tell folks a little bit about your background? Yeah, no problem. Um, good morning, Subi. How are you doing today? It's great to be a part of the podcast. Um, thanks for the invite. Um, and, and, and the other way around, it's very humbling to be here. Um, you've also inspired me, your work ethic, your driving, your focus um, towards your family, your career, and where you're at personally, um, mental health, wellness, um, physical wellness, and your overall fitness. I'm very, very proud of you and all the progress you've made um, over these years. Um, and staying committed. Um, to the process and understanding that progress as something that we see incrementally over time. Um, it's been great to watch you go through that journey um, and all the results and outcomes that you've been able to receive is definitely a testament to your hard work. Um, but yeah, my name is Rick, um, Rick Doe. Um, my background is in biomedical engineering. Um, I was able to do that during my undergraduate. Um, after completing that, uh, transition into a engineering development program, technical development program um, for a medical device um, healthcare company. Uh, where I was really focused on honing my uh, skills um, as an engineer, um, as a person, um, working on my work-life balance, understanding a lot of the things we need to navigate at a, from a corporate structure, um, corporate organization um, standpoint, uh, really spent some time understanding how to develop my business acumen, um, the, the, the different divisions of, of the overall business structure, something that takes some time to understand and navigate. So going through that program, um, which was a two-year program, allowed me to really find, um, gain my bearings um, and understand uh, where I want to, you know, see myself or, or find myself in regards to my career. Um, so that was definitely a great journey. Um, after completing that, I transitioned um, throughout uh, um, several roles um, at my company, um, being able to go into things focusing on hardware, um, design transfer, and things like that, new product development. So it's been a really cool opportunity and journey for me when it comes to my career. Um, so yeah, so that's just a little bit about me there, Sue. Yeah, so so tell me tell me a little bit about your, your up, upbringing. What, what drove you to, to doing BioE and kind of what was your early uh, school life like? I know gotcha. you've been uh, excited about STEM for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I was inspired um, in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of that comes back to my um, my family, um, my family and the way I was raised. I met an incredible um, grandmother um, that encouraged me to really understand how to uh, leverage my education um, to get out of the situation I was in. Um, I, I come from poverty in regards to my background. Um, I was raised um, by an incredible woman and my grandmother. Um, and for me to really understand how to transition out of that situation, um, education became very, very important. 
Um, so she just continued to work with me um, and, you know, encouraged me to explore STEM because, um, you know, I, I started to, you know, demonstrate, you know, a little bit of a skill set there, um, something that I became passionate about, um, in particular science and math. Um, and so uh, she got me a mentor um, who was an electrical engineer by background. Um, and so he started to really help shape my mindset and understanding what does it take to be an engineer, um, the opportunities that engineers have um, in regards to industry, in regards to career, in regards to, you know, your overall life. And so that was something that um, really, really uh, inspired me um, to really start to explore that. So it probably says around seventh grade, um, as I was participating in Science Olympiad and um, extracurricular activities like that, that I started really uh, peaking that interest, um, really started to, you know, really gravitate towards the different types of disciplines. Um, and I would say it probably was around um, in high school, around ninth grade, uh, where I really, uh, you know, gravitated towards biomedical engineering because I saw that as an opportunity to where I could uh, support the development of, you know, medical devices or medical tools um, or medical products that'll be able to help patients. Um, my, my, historically, uh, I have, my family's had to, you know, dealt with some health issues. Um, and I felt, you know, getting into healthcare was something I became very passionate about just so I can help um, in some way, shape or form. And so I took that path um, in regards to going down biomedical engineering. Um, so I started to really, really explore different schools, different types of opportunities. Uh, while I was in high school, um, I really started to, you know, try to shape myself um, to, you know, being aligned to what that would look like when I got to college. So that's kind of how it went for me there, Susan. Yeah. And, and so was, was there ever a question about BioE? I mean, uh, for, for me personally, I started out chemi. And, uh, you know, once, once we started talking uh heat transfer and all of that and we started looking into the industries it just it, it wasn't for me um and i made the switch i think second semester freshman year first semester for you it's it sounds like bio was the, was the thing and it's been the thing yes definitely um i think the hardest decision i had to make was understanding the difference between um bio e uh, biomed um and a different um elements of that is such as you know you can have a tissue focus and material focus um uh, ortho focus a uh, device focus and so that is where i really had to like find my bearings and figure out how do i want to navigate that biomedical aspect of things um so yeah so that's kind of like what it was for me but no i was always going to go down the bio route it was just more so understanding these like these subtle differences and these key focuses um and how what was best suited for me that's kind of how it went down for me. Mm. Uh, you decided to stay in South Carolina for school. I know, I know you, um, you know, kind of got multiple. Um, you, you were looking at a few schools in state, out of state. Um, and I think you were part of the first um, year of the BioE pro, BME program at University of South Carolina. What made you um, stay there? Or excuse okay, me, awesome. Go there. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Any, any anyone who's gone to the University of South Carolina that I've met is, is pretty. You know, they went there. <laughs> it's not, yeah, you don't you don't got to look them up on LinkedIn to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I was never planning to go to University of South Carolina. Like that was not a part of my plan. Um, coming out of high school, I was definitely geared um focused on other schools, especially for engineering. Uh, especially for biomedical engineering uh, with the program at University of Carolina not being accredited when I was coming out of high school. Um, so that was definitely some risk there of going to a non-accredited program. Uh, but 
uh, as I went through that journey of selecting what school I was going to go through um, or go to and really like, you know, understanding what my college experience was going to be like, um, some really cool opportunities presented themselves um, through the University of South Carolina. When it came to my, you know, um, my financial assistance, um, when it came to my, you know, my living situation, um, University of South Carolina really did a great job of taking care of me and making sure that uh, I could transition very smoothly um, from um, my, where I, was, where I grew up to uh, going to school, um, going to get my education. Um, but yeah, what really drove that was, uh, you know, they presented a really cool family environment. Um, the community of engineers that were coming in at the time, uh, we were, we were going to be a really tight knit group. Um, we really got to know each other. Um, we were able to really grow with each other because, you know, we would have to grow as the program was being created. Um, and to clarify, you know, I wasn't really part of the first, uh, class. I was part of the accredited class. Um, so they had a couple of classes before us, but we were the class that uh, went through the AVIC accreditation uh, process uh, for the University of South Carolina, which was a cool, cool opportunity in that I got to learn how a program comes together, a degree comes together. And that really started to help me with my understanding of process optimization, um, understanding where your uh, efficiencies are, your synergies are. Because um, what they did is that they were able to synergize the mechanical engineering, the electrical engineering, and the biomedical engineering programs together. So that kind of made us uh, a little bit of a hybrid between the disciplines um, at, you know, between those three uh, key disciplines. Um, because we were taking so many courses with the MECI and EUs, uh, we were able to really glean a lot of different information from them and apply it to the biomedical realm. Um, so that was something I was able to benefit from a lot. And uh, seeing that and allowed me to understand the differences between these, like I said, the bio um, material type focus, the, um, the tissue type focus, um, because we became a little bit more, more mechanical um, hardware type focus um, at USC as they were building that out. And a lot of us were able to benefit from that when it came to um, stepping in the industry. Uh, as we were ready to graduate. Um, so that was a lot of the key inputs that went into that. I mean, also, like I said, my grandmother um, gave me a really beautiful opportunity to pursue um, the degree I wanted and stay relatively close to home um, as well. So that's kind of how it played out. Mm. And so, um, for, so I think um, you've also pushed folks in your family to go to University of South Carolina too, right? Yeah, I've, I've encouraged them. I've encouraged them. Um, no one has really like uh, gone to USC, like, but they've all gone to school. I think that's kind of like the biggest thing is that, um, you know, being, uh, you know, the first, you know, college graduate for my family, uh, which is something that you know I was definitely encouraged and and, and motivated through uh, by, by the amazing um, people that you know are in my life and have mentored me and guided me. Uh, but no, it's definitely been the, the follow through and the follow up in regards to the way that you know my uh, the people who are younger than me and my family have responded is incredible. Um, definitely more people are getting their education, more people are um, stepping into their passions, more people are exploring their careers and what they want to do with their life at that higher rate, which is something that, you know, has been very, very exciting to see. And everyone's working really, really hard um, to, you know, really get a better understanding of what their fit is in the world and how they want to be a contributor and support different aspects of industry and different aspects of our, of our culture. Excellent. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned the, the multiple um, uh, rotations that you did, uh, but, right. uh, but maybe before I, I jump into that, what, uh, what made you uh, leave South Carolina eventually? I mean, I know you had a few opportunities um, and, and we're going kind of all over the country to see what the next move was after school. Um, 
what helped you make the decision that, you know, it was ready to uh, move to a different part of the country to pursue one of those? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I think one of the big things around when we talk about career development or personal growth, um, we, we don't talk about the Venn diagram of these two things enough or where, they, where, they, where the two overlap. Um, we, I think sometimes they get bucketed and being the same thing, personal growth and career development. But these are two very separate entities um, in that your personal growth is so tied to where you're at and who you are as a person and how you're navigating life. Um, and career development is uh, where you're at and who you are in regards to your career and how you're navigating um, industry or corporate structure or entity. Um, and so, or, you know, or, or job in, in, in general. Um, and so for me personally, as I was working on my overall plan for myself and taking the time when it comes to my faith, it was, it became very apparent that in this overlap of my personal growth and career development, that it was time for me to really start to see things and gain perspective. Um, as I was getting my education, I was being well equipped with the tools that I was going to need to be able to contribute to the world as an engineer in regards to career development, but I wasn't growing enough as a person when it came to my perspective. Because one of the things that you don't get enough exposure to as you're getting your education is the, uh, the, co the, the corporate culture, um, the politics, um, some of the bureaucratic elements of um, working <laughs> and having employment at a Fortune 500 company. Um, some of the aspects of how do you work in teams um, effectively, collaboration. Um, people have different backgrounds. Um, people have different outlooks. People have different points of views. And so uh, at that point in time, it became apparent that I had a threat in my SWOT, um, in my SWOT analysis of, not, of lack of perspective. Um, because to be able to solve a problem, you have to be able to look at it through multiple lenses from various angles to be able to start to understand uh, where are the opportunities or where are the potential solutions um, to resolve this problem. And so it became apparent that it was time for me to really step out of the South Carolina environment or bubble and really start to see how the rest of the country or different parts of the country were solving problems, looking at things. What were their methodologies? Um, what were some of the teaching methods? What were some of the key areas that they focused on when it came to, you know, developing a product or developing a process? Um, so I had some opportunities to work with a lot of great researchers um, and also companies while I was going through my internships and doing undergraduate research at South Carolina. So I got a taste of it. And then I realized that I needed to gain more and more of this. And so I looked for um, several opportunities um, outside of South Carolina, as far as the West Coast, um, Northeast, um, Midwest. And so the, at the end of the day, when it came down to my selection process, um, I knew I needed to leave South Carolina so I could grow as a person, um, gain perspective, gain experience, um, and be exposed to different things and to really start to process things uh, with the tools that I gained and with who I was as a person. So I continue to, you know, sharpen myself and hone myself and refine myself just to be a better person. And so after, you know, going through various interviews and various opportunities, um, the company got selected um, and that also selected me because it's a two-way process. You know, you have to be selected <laughs> to, <really> be, <laughs> to be able to, you know, to do that. So it's a two-way process. Um, but it was a great it was a great process that I went through with um, my respective company. And so and they led me to and they convinced me and they demonstrated to me that they were going to be able to do that um, and gain, give me that perspective, um, help grow my skill set and you know allow me to contribute um in, a, in an effective way so that's kind of how it played out yeah no that's uh that that's really funny the the two-way street uh you kind of reminded me of the, like the residency matching process and just because you pick doesn't mean they picked you so right, that's funny. right um so you you had you you know you had multiple offers coming out of uh school which is 
not common for a lot of people. You know, you mentioned you did an internship and in undergraduate research. Is is there anything else that helped you um, get, you know, be be in that position uh, coming straight out of school? For sure. I knew what I wanted. Um, so I was able to narrow my scope. Right. So I didn't do I didn't have a shotgun method um, when I was applying to jobs or interviewing or participating in conferences. Um, so that's one of the that was number one. That was the number one thing. I knew exactly what I wanted. Um, I highly suggest, especially from a career development standpoint, um, for people who are going through their undergraduate experience, especially around their junior year, um, whether they're super junior or, you know, just straight up junior. You need to start figuring out where you want to sit when it comes to this uh, this engineering game. Where where do you want to sit in regards to our industry? Because um, to select your industry is one thing. Whether you're going to go healthcare, whether you're going to go energy, whether you're going to go tech, all that's, that's that's just the beginning. Inside of these industries, there's there's tables, right? And um, these tables, you're going to have different types of, of positions, such as you're going to have a seat for the R&D guy. You're going to have a seat for the person in quality or reliability. You're going to have a seat for the person in um, doing, you know, industri industrial design. You're going to have a seat for the software person. So you really want to understand within, within the industry, where do you want to sit? And once you find out where you want to sit, that helps you narrow down your scope of, okay, this is my industry. This is the type of seat I would like to have or position. Okay, so who are the who are the top players in this? Who who are the top contributors in the market or the industry when it comes to this sit to this uh seat or this table that I would like to um, be at? Um, and so that helped me a lot. Um visualizing it like that, uh, navigating it like that allowed me to, you know you know, put together basically a, a, a plan to say, okay, these are my top targets and these are the positions that I would like to uh, explore with these targets. And hopefully, you know, we can figure something out. And then I would have, you know, my, 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 my tier two uh, or that I think as though that might not quite give me exactly what I needed or what I wanted, but it would be something that I feel as though that I would be still satisfied with. So that was a big thing um, for me. Um, so understanding what I wanted to sit, knowing exactly what I wanted in regards to uh, the type of position I wanted to, to have and then the, the reality of that. And so going through that process of, of understanding industry where I would like what table I wanted to be at and what seat I wanted to sit in, I, I realized I ran into the big, the big uh, wall that a lot of us do. I didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> I, I, I knew an industry. I kind of had a deal about which table. And so that opened the door for me to understand the value of a rotational program. Um, whether that's, you know, something for commercial, uh, leadership, engineering, or whatever, that just showed me the value of a rotational program to allow me to, to navigate the, the company or the organization to understand the different tables and the different seats. And so once I were able to see it and, you know, be able to sit at them for a little while as, a, you know, as a fly on the wall, I got a better understanding of where my strengths were, where my passion was, how do I apply these things and what that role actually looked like for me. And I was able to, you know, really make that selection via going through a rotation program. So to be able to start to understand these questions and answer these questions, get a better idea how I wanted to approach it. The rotation program bubbled up to the top as the best opportunity for me to grow as a person and also feed into my career development, thus the Venn diagram overlapping. If yeah, that analogy starts to make some more sense. No, it, it does. And I think it also speaks to the perspective thing that you mentioned as well, that the, that the leaving um, 
school to, uh, or excuse me, leaving South Carolina to, to widen perspective, uh, you know, you kind of, you kind of put, um, air on the fire, so to speak, you know, when you talk about a rotational program, because there's perspective inherently baked into that. Um, you, 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 you mentioned the top players. I just wanted to, to, to get a, a clarifying question there. Um, you know, you know, something that I find to be almost crippling to people when they're um, on their on their journey of career development is, you know, they have sort of a, a two dollar problem and, and they need a, a, a two dollar solution. But they they try to, you know, go off, uh, go after a ten thousand dollar solution or something. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, you know, most people don't know what a reliability person does or what a regulatory person does. And so when they go to seek out informational interviews or something like that, they'll look for the top world renowned, you know, multi PhD or multi certified, whatever, um, to be able to give them perspective that a million people can give them perspective on. Um, and so, and so when you were saying top player, you were talking about the, the companies that you want to sit, uh, that you want to sit at the table with not so much the, the information gathering process, right? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because the thing is that that's once I understood that when I selected a, a top player or someone that was well positioned within industry, that all of that information would be available to me there. The people that I would need to collect information from, to glean from, to be mentored by would be there. And uh -huh. so, instead of, so instead of overloading myself with, you know, Internet searches, uh, drowning at the career center, you know, stressing out my uh, parents or, or my grandmother about, you know, I don't know what I want to do and stuff like that. I figured out that, OK, a lot of people have run into this. This is not new. Um, we're not going to reinvent the wheel here. Um, experience is important for sure. That's it's, it's critical. Experience is critical, but at the same time, where do you want to gain this experience? Um, and so that allowed me to really understand that, okay, instead of killing myself with overwhelming myself with all of this information about all of these different layers and you know, factors and aspects of business and engineering, who can help me navigate this the most effective? And so that's when I realized companies that were investing in um, career development, uh, working on their, you know, their early career uh, aspect of their business, uh, regardless of disciplines and backgrounds, those things started to really help me understand this is where I'm going to really thrive and succeed because they're going to help me answer a lot of these questions and overcome a lot of the obstacles and break through a lot of the barriers when it comes to how the, when it comes to what type of engineer that I wanted to be and how I I wanted to contribute to the uh, to the business and also to the industry, and more importantly, to patients and potential customers. That's kind of how it played out. Um, you you did m multiple uh, rotations, um, and and you know within within multiple different uh, business areas. I think you you've landed in manufacturing, uh, <laughs> pretty much uh, the you know the your entire career after. Uh, your rotations. Um, I guess the first question I have is: Was it was it a challenging transition going from school into the rotation program? Was it difficult, you know, starting to work on, um, you know, in a certain business area, then having to move on after you know a year or so in that? Um, 
area. Can you just talk about your experience there? Um, so that's great. So I would say uh, definitely kudos to uh, my career development uh, center, uh, my career center back at the University of South Carolina. They did a great job of helping us understand what it looks like to transition uh, from college into the uh, uh, working environment. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, I would say it was a mix. It was a mix um, because I did uh, undergraduate research and I did that for some time. And also because I did, uh, you know, internships and things like that, I had an understanding of what the work looked like. Um, especially for entry level person. So I wasn't caught off guard by, you know, documentation or the amount of writing or the, the testing or the types of testing um, and the range of testing, whether it was complex or monotonous, those types of things. I had a, a pretty good of idea of what that looked like. So when the game came to, okay, transitioning from the, the hustle and bustle and the excitement and uh, the day-to-day, we never know what's going to happen of college and being in that freedom <laughs> um, to, okay, being Your tied to your days weren't super structured. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, yeah. to the, you know, transitioning to that, you know, being tied to a cubicle or a lab or uh, a plant or a floor in regards to a production line and stuff like that. You know, I kind of had a good idea where some people struggle, but, uh, but also um, definitely there were some challenges in regards to the, the, from a collegiate, you know, writer for, you know, our English classes, our history class, or our psych class, or something like that, to being a technical writer for, for a company. De- two, two very, very, very different things. Um, and so definitely it was a, a learning curve they had to co- overcome when it came to pre- preparing technical documents, specifications, and things like that. Um, definitely is a different ball game when it comes to understanding design features, um, design elements, because uh, we're not just, you know, putting together a model for the sake of doing it. Um, for the sake of having fun. Um, everything needs to make sense. Everything has to have a business case. Everything has to have, you know, a tangible, feasible outcome when it comes to making an impact on what we do in the healthcare industry. Um, because at the end of the day, there's a patient at the end of everything that we touch and do. Um, so the, the steep reality of that, the gravity of that took me some time to navigate because every single thing we do in healthcare is important. And that's from what we sign um, to what we develop, to what we store, to what we put on a plane, to a truck. Every, all, of it, all of it is important because it can impact a patient in some way or form um, downstream. Um, and so that was something I really had to, to, to grow in and mature in and get a better understanding of so that I operated with a better sense of urgency so that I operated with um, definitely an increased focus and passion um, for what I do. Um, some of the other challenges, of course, is navigating the corporate structure. Um, yeah. That's, you know, there's, doesn't exist um, in college. It, there's, a, there's a hierarchy in regards to, you know, the professors and different things like that. But in regards to the decision-making, the impact, you know, jobs, the impact products, the impact patients, the impact the overall health of the business, um, definitely had to go through a learning curve when it came to that. Um, And then, you know, of course, what everybody wants to talk about, uh, you know, how how do you grow in your career? Um, That's, you know, there's not a whole lot of classes um, that we could take while we're in college on career growth and moving from one position to another or one department to another or one company to another. And so it's definitely been the most challenging aspect of my career has been that more so than the technical stuff and the business stuff, because if you are willing to put the timing, you have the work ethic and you you definitely have the passion for it. You just got to give yourself time. You just got to be patient with yourself. 
um, and those opportunities are going to present themselves for you to explore those 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 things so that you can gain those skill sets and, and sharpen yourself and hone yourself and refine yourself as as and hopefully become a key contributor. I'm going to value the employee to um, whomever you're working for, or if you're doing your own thing and develop something that you know that you can launch and become a great entrepreneur. But definitely the most challenging thing has definitely been the, the other thing that I just mentioned in regards to the true heart of career growth. Yeah. And what, you know, one thing I really like that you um, mentioned earlier was, was not so much getting into the, um, you know, spinning your wheels about trying to talk to, you know, a hundred different people from a hundred different organizations to get perspective. It was just like, I just got to get there. And once I get there, everybody that I need to talk to is there. I, 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 I never really thought about it that way. So uh, I appreciate that, that kind of uh, perspective change. Now, one, one thing that I think people struggle with um, straight out of school is they, they, they'll enter a role, and, and you mentioned the cubicle, which obviously has a big negative connotation to it. You know, people say, I don't want to sit in a cubicle. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, having, having kind of been, uh, you know, entering a new, a new role and, you know, having a lot of excitement around it, you know, how long did it, how long did it take you before you started, you know, feeling like you were making a large impact? Because I think a lot of people sort of have a chip on their shoulder expecting to cure cancer straight out of school. Um, <laughs> you know, but my, my, my opinion is there's a sit and listen part before you can get to, you know, some of the really impactful stuff. Um, you know, I, I, there's a, there's a quote I heard before that, you know, some people really want to write poetry, but before they do, it's maybe better for them to listen to poetry <laughs> type thing, <laughs> you know, it's so like, uh, you know, what, what, what do you have to say to that? How long did it take before you felt like you were making a really big impact? Okay. So, so I think, we, I think that's a great question. I think we need to add, let's add a, just a couple layers to that really quickly. I think we need to talk about impact versus big impact. I think that's a great place to start um, mm -hmm. in regards to how do you navigate that? Um, so impact is a great thing. Impact is extremely still a great thing. It's, it's awesome. It's great to have impact. When we say big impact, we're talking about these big, from my perspective in the question, we're talking about these big projects, these big programs, the world shakers, the blockbusters, the multi-million dollar efforts, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it can, it can be measured in different ways. It doesn't have to be dollars, but yes, yeah, significant. Yeah, significant, right? Um, not even from a, like, okay, yeah, I got what you're saying. Just want to make sure I understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, of course, right at the gate. Um, you well, well, not... it's like it's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm here to change things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, so one of the things is that uh, for, before I get into that, people, is it, it's important to take the time to understand timing. Uh, timing is so critical, uh, whether you're doing entrepreneurship, whether you're doing working for a company, whether you're, you know, doing, you know, whatever timing is so important, um, cause it impacts how decisions are made, how resources are allocated. Um, it's, it's so critical. It's so, so critical. So understanding timing, uh, where, uh, an entity or organization is, um, as they're getting ready to make a decision on um, how to position yourself is so, so important when it comes to the exposure or the type of opportunities that you want or the type of. Uh, products that you want to work on um so it's a big thing that i want to make sure i say first but it definitely took um some time because you have to demonstrate a certain level of competency you have to demonstrate a certain level of success yeah and also you have to demonstrate a certain level of understanding 
um, for engineers that that looks and comes in so many different shapes and forms because a lot because of our different roles, right? We we can have our discipline, but we can have so many different types of roles, and what success looks like in a given role is so different, especially on a day to day basis. Um, and so really having to understand so, and define. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Just a question on on the timing point because I I, I think. Um, you know, that, that point is critical. So it's kind of like the um, luck favoring the prepared. Correct. Correct. And yeah, in yeah. some ways, yes, for sure. Yeah, that, that you, you know, you have your background, your preparation, but contextualizing that against what is actually going on, uh, there's a level of, you know, that's sort of outside of my control because, you know, the, the timing of things where they are and where they're not is sort of outside of your control. Your reaction right. to it is, um, is, is what you're talking about that, you know, what is actually going on outside of control, but what, what you can actually contribute to what is going on that's in your control. That is correct. That is yeah. correct. Um, and that's because that's preparation. The best preparation that you could possibly make is, is, is a demonstration of your position. So it's where you're at as decisions are being made. Are you being considered as a top performer? Are you being considered as a key contributor? Are you being considered as someone that can take their potential and translate that to output and results? As these decisions are made about what's going to happen with the business, what's going to happen with this arm of what we're doing, what's going to happen in this region, because you want to be in position to be one of those people that are being thought of or being talked about when they're about to, you know, do certain things. So that's kind of like how I try to, to, to play it a little bit. Um, but from, mm. but also it, the impact thing, it's hard to make impact and big impact where you're not in your passion. So that's, a, that's one thing is it's not about someone being, you know, more capable or more talented than another, um, which, which is a factor at times, but it's not the driving factor most of the time. What is what it comes down to is that if you're a person that's taking the time to go through the process of understanding uh, what type of role you want to have, where you want to be in the industry, and the key ways you want to learn from this position and what you want to give into the position, then, then you're pretty you're going to get close to your passion. And once you get close to your passion point, your effort level, your work ethic, your drive, the ability to consume information and, and create content and information. And, you know, analyze the data, finish analyzing the data, coming up with new concepts. It hits a new level because you're in this place of your passion. So your energy and what you're giving into is a completely different monster compared to if you're doing something that you're just cool with, right? Because you're not, you're not as invested in it. And so your impact is impacted by that. You're not going to be as impactful doing something that you're just cool with compared to something that you're, in, that you're passionate about. Because you're so passionate about it, you're going to give it so much, making your overall co contribution greater, which is most likely is going to make more impact on your department, your group, or your business, if that makes sense. You know, it does. A uh, question related to that. So um, I completely agree. I think, I think passion is, is something that is, um, you know, not often considered when people take roles. But, but you know, in, in – <laughs> It ebbs and flows, right? You know, it's not yeah. you're you're and, and sometimes you're really passionate about something and you're in the middle of uh you're you're in a really long middle and it seems like there is no end or design issues occur, whatever. Um, what do you do in those situations where passion is waning and you have to really you know put your head down? Uh 
so so does that, does that question make that uh, uh, i'll ask it a different way yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know you can be in the role that you're passionate about but the feeling of passion the motivation that's driven by passion ebbs and flows what correct, do you do correct. when you're feeling what do you do when you're feeling a low or you're stringing together you know days where steve jobs has a a, a, I think a, a graduation address where he where he asked himself in the mirror, you know, if if today were my, my last day, something something to the effect of, if today was my last day, would I feel happy and excited to do what I'm about to do? And if the days, uh, if you say no, you know, a few days in a row, then that's an indication for a change. Um, mm. But I, but I'm just I'm 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 I maybe trying to drive home the point about uh, passion. You know, you can be right. in a rural area. Yeah, I think you, you get the question. Right. I think then that comes down to where you're at in, in regards to your maturity of self, right? Uh, I think one of the big things about that is I'm a believer that you have multiple passions. Um, I don't think that, you know, we as individuals have one single thing that we're passionate about. And so when we have these multiple passions, we should start to create multiple outlets to explore those passions, to help us when we're going through some of those ebb and flows, when one of the things that we really care about, we're not too excited about at that time. So as we're exploring the outlet and exploring that passion point, say it could be community service or outreach, or it could be, you know, uh, being able to play a musical instrument, or it could be, uh, you know, you're very passionate about some sport. And so you're pick, you're in some leagues and stuff like that. So those types of things help you really offset the low points when you're, um, when you're going through those types of things. Um, Cause like I completely agree. You will, you will, you will go through that. Um, but, that in itself is a learning opportunity and a learning experience because things are as great as the exponential chart is. That's not how life works. Um, it's definitely more of, of a wave. Like you said, the ebb and flow. And so when you have those low points, you want to find as many things outside of that low point that's going to give you a high point, such as being able to go out and play basketball or maybe go golfing or go for a run or participate in a 5K or something like that. Those are the types of things that I do personally to help me navigate or overcome a low point or a lull in, say, the passion of what I do in my career. Because my whole life is not centered on my career. My whole life is not centered on my position at my job. My whole life isn't – no, it's just a part of who I am as a person. It's just a part of, of what I do to navigate life in its entirety. And so I don't put so much weight of who I am as an individual as in regards to my mental health, my personal health, and my physical health when it comes to my career. It's a big factor, but it's not the singular factor. And so I try to offset, you know, things that are not so good days or not so exciting days with the exciting things that, that can happen around it. Because you have life and you have the experiences that are flowing around life. And so you want to put yourself in the best situation where you can have experiences that are going to allow you to really explore who you are as a person and how you can offset some of these things uh, when you're really running into challenges or you're struggling with something, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, be, being well-rounded, almost take, taking a step back to take two forward. Sure. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, and, and and basically coming back to after, um, you know, revisiting one of your passions or, or looking at uh, taking a break from it um, helps you because maybe maybe you're just burnt out. It could also be that, yeah. Um, so I, I want to just uh, go back to the, uh, the the rotation. So you did multiple rotations and, and you landed in, in manufacturing operations. Uh, I, I know you love it. 
Um, but can you can you tell me a little bit about you know what what drove you to to go in manufacturing versus R and D or or QA or regulatory? Right, that's a great question. Um, so coming out of school, my heart and passion was R and D. Um, <laughs> I really wanted to do um, R and D. Um, but as I again went through some of the things that we talked about a little bit earlier in this conversation, I started to realize that. Um, for me to be successful and for me to really uh, gain uh, the skill sets that I wanted to gain, uh, I really need to understand uh, how a product uh, actually, you know, operates, how a product is actually produced. Um, how does that design actually become something tangible that's able to, you know, become a service or, or a tool um, for a patient or, or a physician? And so I felt like uh, getting closer to the operations uh, slash manufacturing aspect of things would give me that knowledge, um, give me that understanding um, of, okay, when a concept is conceptualized and it's prototype, and it's time for this prototype to now become something in the real world, and then we have to scale it in regards to be able to mass produce it, um, how do you actually lock in a design that can actually handle that? Whereas it's not just about the end user in regards to them being able to use it and interact with it and benefit from it, but how do you create an entire business around it, mass produce it, understand margin, create opportunity, market penetration, all of those types of things and produce it regionally and produce it nationally and internationally. So I figured that uh, and I felt that operation manufacturing was going to give me um, a great taste to that and a great exposure to that. And then as I was going through my rotations, um, a great opportunity was presented to me and that I could, you know, be in a role that I could see a bit of both, um, kind of be in that, that middle ground um, between R&D um, and manufacturing in the operations role where I'm, you know, supporting a lot of the design efforts and then and the development efforts and then transitioning that and transferring that into um, the manufacturing environment and being able to mass produce it and scale it um, for, you know, for, for commercialization. And so that's kind of like how it played out um, for me personally. Yeah, I think I think that th those types of roles are a really sweet middle because you get to ta you, yep. you kind of get a taste of both worlds. Now you now since since the rotation uh, program, you've you've mo moved around internally um, a little bit. Um, what has your journey looked like uh, in in doing that? And any advice that you have for people looking to stay but maybe um, get a different perspective within their organization? Right, right. Be honest with yourself about what you want out of your career, um, whether that's, you know, you're, if you're title oriented, by title oriented means that you care a lot about um, promotions and you want to run up the corporate ladder or a structure or entity. Just be honest with yourself. That's who you are. And that's something that you care about. And that's your passion. But if you're a problem solver and you're a tinker and all you care about is, you know, solving problems and tinkering in a lab or, or, or design or, um, or bench top and things like that, then be honest with yourself and know that that's what's most important more important than say a title. And that's what you want. If you're big on um, building out your skill sets, and you want to have exposure, understanding various parts of the business, various parts of the organization. And that's where your focus is. And it's more important to you than any promotion. It's more important to you, to you than any uh, new fancy equipment that you can buy and put in the lab. Be honest with yourself about that, because that's really going to help you understand how you want to navigate your career. Because if you're title oriented, it's get promoted. So that's how you need to navigate your career. You need to be positioning yourself to get promotions. Um, if you're a problem solver, 
you need to be in put a position yourself in situations where they're going to be rich, fruitful problems. They're going to be constantly challenging you and giving you opportunities to really challenge your mindset, your methodologies, your methods, your outlooks, your perspective, and get you excited. You got to, you're going to have to be in a constant state of exciting challenges um, and breaking into new things. Um, and you know, and if you're one of those type of people that are ex- a networker and exposure type person, you need to be in a situation where you're being constantly exposed to different teams, different opportunities, different businesses, different partners, different relationships, um, and those different types of things that that is important from my perspective. That is very important is to be 100% honest with yourself about that. Um, because that's what's good. That's what separates us, um, in regards to whether you want to become that true engineer, the engineer's engineer, or if you want to become that person that's being looked at as the next CEO, or if you want to be that person that looks to as the go-to person that the CEO is aware of and the engineer engineer is aware of, and you're that person that's the glue person between some of these things that we got to get figured out. Important to figure that there's not necessarily a title for that or a label for that. That's just being honest with yourself about what does your career mean to you from that perspective. Um, so that's definitely one thing. And so from, from, from all of those, where, where do you sit? What drives you? Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I that I'm very passionate about um, understanding problems um, and, and getting opportunities to see problems from different angles and different perspectives. Uh, I think, of course, I think titles are important in regards to understanding your position and understanding value and all those other things. Is, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be naive or try to spin that narrative that, you know, you know, don't care about that. But I'm just saying what value you put on that is going to have an impact on how you navigate your career. And I put a lot more weight on, as an engineer anyway, I put a lot more weight on, you know, being exposed to new problems, problems that could be the same exact problem, but it's happening in six different parts of the world. Um, or a unique problem that's happening in one region and is emerging in another and is emerging in a different way. And so being able to understand that, uh, being able to conceptualize that, come up with different solutions for that, that's what gets me out of the bed. That's what gets me excited in the morning when it comes to my career. Yeah, I, I remember I had a conversation with with a guy who was much later in his career, and he um, he was uh, he was a team lead for a long time and had a pretty big team reporting into him, and then he eventually landed on the technical, uh, like uh, uh, contri- like single contributor. And I had asked him, you know, what what made him make the switch, and and his his description of team leadership was unlike anything that I heard before. Um, he was really, really focused on problems, kind of like you mentioned. And when you were talking about the, you know, the titles um, being important, what he what he said was, you know, leading a team helped him drive his ideas. And, um, you know, maybe looking at, uh, you know, if, if you are so inclined and you're not so inspired by title uh, and the prestige of it, so on and so forth that comes with that, then, you know, increasing the breadth of your seat and the um, gravity of, of your decision helps you drive the solving of those problems, if, if that makes sense. I makes just sense. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you a, a, a couple of other questions. If, if you, you know, I, know, I know you're really into technology, not just particularly in healthcare. Um, 
and and you know you're you're the type of person that draws on mentors that that are alive but but also from ones that are are sort of dead and gone in the form of books and all that um if if if, well i guess before that can can you talk a a little bit about leonardo da vinci i know he's one of your personal heroes uh, but i do have a (laughs) follow-up question to that yeah the renaissance man yeah so um i became very interested and inspired by um da vinci because of his understatement Uh, because of his ability to take the abstract and make it tangible, um, it was something that I thought was, it was, it was, it was so inspiring. It was so humbling. It was so extremely humbling. Watching his versatility as an individual, because I needed to humble myself in understanding the beauty of where the liberal arts and the sciences come together. I didn't have a real appreciation for that. I'm as of when I was younger. Um, but understanding the beauty in nature and understanding the beauty in the world around us and being able to translate that into concepts and into, into different ways of thinking, into different methods, and to be able to start create tangible outcomes of that, such as the Vitruvian Man. Um, and you can go from the Vitruvian Man to something such as the Mona Lisa and transition to some of the um, engineering marvels that he was able to come up with. And then thinking about him also as a sculptor and as a painter, all of these different aspects of who he was um, as a person and how he was able to navigate such complex areas of mastery and so many different aspects of how you express yourself as a person whether that's artistically or scientifically and so that's something that that i would that i've been wanting to become more of a student of to to to, to this former master and this true renaissance man this true who had true true uh, uh flexibility agility uh, he had the ability to really conceptualize and understand so many different aspects of the world that I thought was important and valuable to me so I can do the same thing or something similar when it came to industry. It's not necessarily I'm trying to be, you know, or want to be the renaissance man. I just want to be someone that is uh, that is versatile and flexible enough to be able to navigate industry. And I felt as though he was able to achieve that at a very, very great scale and at a bigger and a much larger level than I most likely never will be able to do um but just watching how he was able to do that and i'm not saying that he's the greatest or everything he did was perfect it's just more so his methodology and his approach was something that i really really value and appreciate and i just tried to glean from him a little bit so yeah great question yeah i think i think one thing that that i love about uh um, learning about, you know, there's like the, the concept of the one thing and focusing on only one thing and eliminating the inessential. And yeah, there's some truth to that. But I think right. when you when you look into some of these people who have so many vocations, yes, there's true genius for sure. But I think there's something to be said about just actually exploring the ideas that you have. I think, you know, where, where, where I see struggle in myself and, and maybe in other people is we have an idea and we just don't explore it. And so when, when I see, you know, the drawing of the skeleton and the Mona Lisa, it's just like, you know, this, this guy was busy. Um, but besides Leonardo da Vinci, if you could have, um, you know, dinner or, or uh, a mocha with, <laughs> with uh, anyone dead or alive, uh, who would it be? Um, and just one last thing on, on da Vinci about that whole thing we were just touching. I think one of his big quotes that definitely holds true about Everything that we're talking about, I think, is like, you know, learning never exhausts the mind. Like, that's mm-hmm. one of his big, big quotes. And and I think that's something that's important um, for people that are exploring and want to navigate life in a similar fashion, is that what made 
what separated him and made him so great, of course, he had true genes. He achieved that. Um, and it's outright, but it's also that the amount of work that he put in to master his craft and master his skills and his passion wasn't necessarily sculpting or engineering or, or painting or it was actually learning. That was his true passion above you know, everything else. You know, it's, it's, it, it's really funny, Rick. I, I, I was going to message you asking you for, for a, a quote because I was hoping that with, with uh, each podcast episode, the title would be a quote that the person uh, liked. <laughs> and so I, I, I got it organically. Uh, learning never exhausts the mind. I love that. I'm surprised I haven't heard it before, but, you know, it's so... Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that. So who would it be? Um, dead or alive, dead or alive. I'm unfortunate. Um, I think that question, my answer has changed. Um, over time, um, I guess it depends on the. Now, I guess I've gotten to a point in life. It depends on the setting, right? Overall, when it came comes to my faith, there's definitely a specific person I would want to have. Uh, um, I would have to want to have you know sit down and have coffee with or tea with. Um, when it comes to my faith, but when it comes to this career development, um, some of this career stuff that we're talking through, um, I would think I would have to go Einstein. I would have to go Einstein right now. Um, and the reason I would pick Einstein is that I would really want to appreciate the challenges and the barriers and the struggle that he had to overcome when it came to to be so talented and have so much genius and to be working on the great papers um, such as general relativity, special relativity, um, so on, you know, equals MC squared, so on, is, is that it just didn't happen right away. You know, it's not like he graduated from college he became, you know, the superstar, rock star, scientist, phys uh, physicist that we all know. That's not what happened. There was a, yeah. a big gap in time and where, you know, one of the most talented people on the face of the earth had to, like, figure out what, what kind of job he was going to get, where he was going to work. And this, you know, this great mind had to, you know, he had to go to the patent office. He didn't go to, you know, the world's most renowned, scientific observatory or lab or anything like that. That's not what happened. He it had to go work. <laughs> you know, he had to go be a level one patent analyst analyst at the patent office. <laughs> but through that, it created a rich opportunity for his mind to consume how so many people were thinking about solving a problem as he was reviewing these patents. And I think that benefited him and his own true genius as he was working on some of these great discoveries that we're still benefiting from today. And so I would want to talk to him a lot about not necessarily his genius, but his actual practical approach of navigating life. Like, you know, and I'm, I'm confident that he was fully aware of his talent and his ability, his intellectual prowesses. But at the same time, he had to deal with the world around him. <laughs> and so I would really, really want to talk to him about that. And then after I finished that aspect of things of talking to him, his, what made him famous um, and, and how he achieved that and just how he practically went about setting it up in his mind, his thought experiments. He yeah. was... He was at another level when it came to being able to do experiments mentally. Now, and it's not about, okay, teach me how to do this. More so when it starts to formulate, when it starts to come together in that open canvas that is your mental space, 
what does what do the shapes start to look like? How do these things start to come together for you? So that I can really start to glean from, okay, these are the steps that he's taking mentally to be able to paint these pictures so that he can begin to solve these problems. Yeah. No, it does. Uh, you, you reminded me of the, the Joe Rogan Kanye West interview where, you know, kind of the more that you listen, you see that there's a system. Right. And, and you would just want to listen and, and look for the pattern in the system or, or, or gain inspiration from it. And I think, you know, from what you said, I really like that you I didn't know that he started out as a, a patent clerk um, yeah. or, or whatever it was, patent associate. Um, I think that goes back to the discussion that we were having about passion and starting out and where, where you, you know, if you're starting exactly. out, it's not, it's, it's not glamorous where you start out, but if you start right, uh, you know, that's, that's really crazy. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. what, what books do you give as gifts? Books that I give as gifts. That's a great question. That is a phenomenal question. Um, there's, <laughs> It depends. Honestly, it depends. It depends on the need. Like, I think a lot of people when they're going to going for looking for books and looking for literature and different content to consume, they don't understand their need um, mm-hmm. well enough. Uh, like if you want to read just passively, like that's one thing. If you want to read for the sake of gaining knowledge, that's another thing. If you want to read to be entertained, that's another thing. And so all these things aren't aren't equal. Uh, the, one, you need to be honest with the type of reader you are. And, and when you know that there's certain authors and certain styles that speak to you that you glean from more. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you to take all those things into consideration. Um, but if like who, you know, for like people, who, who, who you're giving the book to. Right. That's, that's yeah. the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, one of the, I think one of the, one of the best, most underrated says popular books there is. Um, and it's getting a lot of credit, but at the same time, it's because I think it got so much credit that it's, it's undervalued now, especially for millennials and Gen Z, um, mm-hmm. you know, which we're a part of, but, uh, the seven habits of a highly effective individual, like mm-hmm. that, that book, the richness and the robustness and the practicality and the value in the, in, that is in that book, for someone that's trying to grow both when it comes to personal growth and career development, that book is a treasure. It's a treasure. It's a treasure, but it's, it's easy to read. It's not hard. It's not complex. A lot of us had to read it in high school and stuff like that. And so it's kind of like, it's put in that category of books, but it's beyond that because you can always learn new things from the same information. Yeah. Um, I think when it when it comes to that book and 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 I love it too, um, you know I feel like a lot of people think, oh everybody knows this stuff, so you know my edge is going to be some sort of secret sauce. But you know a lot of a lot of the concepts are are just so foundational that, you know it's like and everybody needs to know it. And if you don't, that's that's what matters, not that everybody else knows it. That's correct. That, that's correct. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a big one that I, that I put up there. That's definitely a big one. Um, definitely a big one. I definitely recommend for people who are like, you know, how to, cause I mean, one of the reasons I've explored Da Vinci, Einstein and some of the great minds so much is not, is it's not about like being in just awestruck, struck by them or things like that. It's more so to understand one, this person was a human being, which means they had human experiences. How did they navigate human experiences? I'm not looking at the icon or the rock star. I'm looking at the person and I want to learn from the person. <laughs> yeah. I think, so I think what, one, 
one, one exercise that helps me when, when I'm like anxious or nervous to talk to someone who, I, you know, I'm putting on a pedestal is like, I imagine them eating an English muffin or, or something like that, where it's like, they're a human being, you know, like right. they just had lunch or whatever before talking to me. And I think, you know, that's, that's kind of what you're alluding to is there are some similarities in the sense right. of both of us being a human being. Right. And then one of the biggest things too, uh, to help me with um, understanding timing and something that you know we talked about at the beginning of this conversation the timing thing um a book that really helped me with that was malcolm gladwell's outliers Mm. that book really really helped me understand all right being in the right place at the right time is a big deal (laughs) it's a big big deal and that book helped me understand and humble myself when it comes to like you know it's not always going to play out the way you want it um, and it's not always going to be the best type of outcomes for everything, but if you're constantly putting together a plan, if you're constantly preparing yourself, you're constantly putting yourself in position in the timing aligns, that is the best position to be in. And so outliers really helped me understand how some of these people that we revere and we respect pop up, such as a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates. So watching how he explored how these people occurred and, you know, defining them as or as not as outliers and all the different factors that went into allowing them to become them helps me. Okay. Life is a little bit complicated when it comes to how we navigate it and go through it. But I can simplify this by understanding who I am and the circumstances going on around me. And like we talked about a little bit earlier, what I can control and put in place around what I cannot control so that I can be mitigating risk and hopefully positioning myself for the most feasible, rich outcomes and results, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, <clears throat> um, you, you lit a light bulb from, uh, for me because I, I read Outliers and I thought it was absolutely spectacular. Uh, I didn't find it to be so actionable. And <laughs> from, from how you described it, you know, there's a, I mean, yes, there, there are some changes I've made because of uh, hearing it. Um, particularly when it comes to my kids. I think the part that I really liked was about the Canadian national uh, hockey team, you know, getting them started young and then having a gap, you know, so on and so forth. I thought that was amazing. Um, But I think the, uh, you know, being thoughtful, intentional about who am I, what is is the area that is the right time for me? I think that's a lesson that uh, I hadn't tied from that book. So, um, you know that like you, the one the, thing the, about like the Steve Jobs story in Outliers is that Steve knew he needed to learn. He doesn't want to learn the way that that the school was set up. Yeah, <laughs> you get what the, I'm the, saying. Yeah, the Beatles too. <laughs> you know that, right. that they that they just kept playing on random <laughs> stages live, and then all of a sudden, best uh, you know best live act ever. Right, um, right. So you like you know what you need to do is just that sometimes you don't know how to do it in the environment that you're in. And what made them special or different is that they figured out the environment they needed to be in <laughs> yeah. to do what they needed to do. So uh, two, two, two more questions uh, as, as yeah. we wrap up. Um, what's something you wish you knew before you started? Whether, whether it's school or engineering, I think um, this, this question is more open-ended and looking for sort of a, I, th- I think seven habits is where they talk about paradigm shifts, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so what, is, what, is a, what is a paradigm shift that you have had now that you wish you, you had had earlier? Obviously, you can't change the past, but 
our folks to glean from from your experience? I don't know, bro. I've been able to do a lot, bro. I'm very, I'm very fortunate. Um, I would, I would tell myself to slow down. Yeah, I would tell myself to slow down more. Um, because uh, we have the generations ahead of us uh, continuing to to try to teach us and tell us over time, and they repeat, they're constantly repeating themselves about you know really enjoying life, taking in things, stopping and smelling the roses, all those things. Um, but I would to go, I would take more time and it's not necessarily that i would slow things down i would just appreciate things more i think i kind of touched this on a little bit about that i didn't always have the appreciation for the blend of the science and the arts um and i was so if i could go back i would appreciate those things more so i could be at a higher level of my understanding now um i would appreciate reading more even though i've read Oh no, for a long time, but I wasn't, you know, I, I would expand, you know, more of my, of my, of the landscape that of the content that I was consuming so that I can have a deep appreciation and a deeper understanding. Um, I would appreciate some of the, uh, the mentoring and the, the pouring into me that was going on. I would listen harder and, 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 and with more intent information for being able to apply it um, so that I can become more effective. So yeah, I would I would get better about appreciating what I had and what I and who I was a lot more. That's something that I definitely that's definitely one of the paradigms is that I was who I was and who I needed to be at that time. So I can become who I am today. That's you know reality. But then in, then the truth is that if only that guy back then would take the time to understand that okay, you care about reading, but if only you would pick up this one book as well. But because you see it a certain way, because it's 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 you don't see it as valuable because you're not reading about Da Vinci. You're reading about say something that's more EQ and focused on being able to be a better uh, a better uh, be, working on collaboration. And I didn't value collaboration and working in teams as much as I did becoming better technically at a certain point in my career. But if I was growing in both those things at the same time, I would be in a different position than I'm in today, if that makes sense. No, it does. I think from 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 the first part, um, you know, what you were what you were saying is that when when you know you're going to be like you, you can't use this mindset when when you're struggling with productivity. But when you know you're going to be productive and you know you're going to sort of seize the day from accomplishing things and getting stuff done, uh, you know, being able to sit back, take a deep breath, recognizing the things that are around you that are, that are going on around you, you know, the, the, the moment is not going to happen again. Kind of like you said, sm as you're walking by, just because you have a full day smell the rose it's going to be a right. few seconds but don't don't just rush from one thing to the other i think the the you know the part about you know acknowledging the you know you, what i heard you you, re, you read the giver in middle school you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 so that's 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 what i was thinking about when you were talking about the the mentorship like the, right. the person like physically putting their hand on you and giving you their experiences and just being able to Really, really appreciate that. Um, right. the, 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 the last question I have before we close um, is, uh, what are you excited about that's coming up? Excited about this coming up. Interesting. Um, in general? Just in general? Or... Yeah, yeah, in general. Op Open-ended. 
It can be as know. simple as the, the, the coffee that you're going to have after the call so, or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know, uh, bro. I'll be trans, like, trans, be transparent. Uh, well, I'm, uh, something I'm always excited about being mentored. Yeah. Being mentored. Um, I have some really cool uh, mentoring opportunities coming up. I'm being uh, mentored uh, by some commercial leaders. Um, so, if, you know, and I haven't, haven't had that mentoring experience before. Um, so definitely being mentored in areas that I need to grow, um, being mentored in areas that I need to continue to challenge myself, uh, being mentored in areas of my faith, being mentored in areas of being a better man um, in the environment and in the society and culture that we're navigating, being mentored in the areas I need to learn and explore better and when it comes to my education when it comes to some of these things that we're 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 facing right now as a society especially here in america um continue to be culturally challenged about some of these things and these 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 events um that are occurring internationally when it continues to being challenged culturally and really expanding my mind and and understanding and listening and becoming a better person when it comes to being able to understand different people's positions and how they're facing and how they're being emotionally and mentally impacted by some of these things that are happening. Um, for definitely that. I'm definitely excited about it. I'm, I'm, if, back to the, other, the, the last question, if I go back and uh, what period, even though I've had, I've had the fortune to have had so many mentors um, in my life, I would get more. I would get more. That's something that, <laughs> I would get more. I don't know how I would figure it out. I don't know how I would do it, but I would get more mentors than I have even now. Um, that's something that I was, you know, gets me out of the bed when it comes to my my job. We talked about it a little bit earlier. It gets me out of the bed. It gets me excited about my life. My mentors are a big, big factor in that. My family, of course. My faith, of course. Those things are definitely inherently there. Um, but also my mentors, because sometimes when you have to start piecing these things together that we're talking about in this conversation. Lots of layers, lots of different dots, lots of different levels, lots of different um, gaps there. These people who are mentoring you and helping you are so critical to being able to connect these dots so that you can see the big picture. They're so critical because they understand the, the, the nuances and the minutia of some of these things that you are experiencing, they have some of those been there, done that, but at the same time, they have the, the foresight. It's just not about their experience in their history. They have, because they have so much history and experience, they have also given the gift of foresight. And so you can benefit from the things that they've learned to anticipate the things that you're about to go through. It's just not even about the things that you're experiencing. They can help you anticipate what you're about to go through which helps you have a different level of preparation and planning for your life and your career. And so that's something that constantly makes me excited is mentoring opportunities. It's not just about me being a mentor, but about me being a mentee and gleaning from those that have, have been in roles, positions and aspects of life that I still need to get to. And I still need to grow into if that makes sense. No, it does. I think I think besides besides the perspective and, and the richness of the history that a mentor brings, they they also bring accountability. You know, I've, yes. I've been in, yes. I've been in a couple of situations where, for example, like uh, you know, I'll ask for advice. Uh, uh, somebody will tell me, "Well, go read a book," and and I'll just kind of fall off, and I'll be almost embarrassed to reach out to them again when uh, I have you know, another question, because like, I still haven't taken the advice that you already gave me. So why would I ask? Why would I pile on more? You know what I mean? So so I guess I, th that was supposed to be the last question, but a, a follow on question to what what you mentioned. Um, and, and then we can close. Um, everybody talks about getting a mentor. 
I think right. nobody, nobody denies the value of it, but right. it's, it's sort of a gift to that gives on giving. What, what advice do you have for people who don't have a mentor? Because it can almost look like it, it did for me before I started reaching out to people. It almost looked really difficult from the outside looking in. Right. Uh, difficult, difficult, almost impossible, because what 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 you're after is this lifelong connection, coaching, um, you know, somebody that you respect that you can go to for for a lot of different um, situations. But there is some level of a barrier to entry. Right. And, right. It, and it and it's uncomfortable. So what you know, how, how did you you know, you mentioned your grandma with the, with the electrical engineer. Um, yeah. But, you know, what advice do you have on, on getting started there? Um, so one of the things that, you know, for me personally, I'm not saying that this is the way to do it. This is just, you know, the way I do it to a certain extent. Um, so I create uh, categories, right? Um, so when it comes to, you know, identifying a mentor, understanding the type of mentor that you want or need, um, what I do is that I look at, you know, I go back to my SWAT, right, my strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And so I really focus on my strengths and my weaknesses when it comes to um, a mentor. And so I basically break them down. Um, I have, you know, the mentors are broken up between two buckets. The mentors are aligned to my strengths and the mentors are aligned to my weaknesses. And so the mentors are aligned to my strengths. That means that we have similar passions. And so a lot of our relationship is, is built around those passions, such as problem solving such as new technologies, emerging technologies, um, some of these different aspects of industry, um, uh, such as community service and outreach, those different types of things, my faith. So those, those, those mentors um, are aligned to me via my passion. I'm aligned to them via our passion. And so a lot of that is that, that makes those conversations and those introductions 10 times easier. When you're introducing it to your, when an engineer is introducing themselves to another engineer, when uh, a manufacturing person introducing themselves to a manufacturing person, and that's how that's how you make your strength stronger. That's how you make your That's how you grow in your passion. But at the same time, you need to cover your bases because you have weaknesses and threats as well. And so, identify mentors that are great at my weakness. Such as right now, like I said, one thing I'm excited about is going through this mentorship opportunity with leadership with leaders who are in the commercial world. Um, being one on the engineering side, the technical side, I need to continue to grow my business acting. So identifying people that have, you know, personalities that there, there's a fit, also a personality fit because this person has a different skill set than me. So personality fit becomes critical now. Personality fit is not as critical when you're doing this, the engineer to engineer type thing or the corporate to corporate type thing. Now we're talking they're, they're we don't have the same passion. Because, yeah, because the, lo the, the, the love there is common. So even if the, the personalities aren't fully aligned, you guys right. like the same thing. Right. So we, we can uh, agree on a lot and not really like each other. <laughs> <laughs> but we do like each other. That's not an issue. That's not an issue. Yeah, That's yeah. just I'm speaking to. But on the other side of that, um, personality fit becomes important. Yeah, so, I, think, I think just to, just to, just to narrow that down. Um, you, you don't you don't have to want to spend like a Sunday afternoon uh, watching a football game with them because you have that other thing. Right. That's yeah. correct. That's correct. And so so and, and so that those mentors there. So well, a lot of our conversations is about one it's, it's def it's definitely more about their passion because their passion is something I need to learn from. So the conversation becomes less is definitely more so less about me. 
in those mentors that are mentoring me in my weaknesses because they have the experience, the perspective, and the skill sets that I do not have. I really do not have them. Um, and so now I'm trying to obtain them and grow in them. So it's definitely in those environments, more of a learning type dynamic. And so, and then it's about the mentoring relationship that is not talked about enough. Uh, mentees, a lot of the relationship falls on them in regards to managing communication, managing scheduling, managing uh, touch points, managing the topics that are going to be talked about. A lot of that falls on the mentee, not necessarily the mentor. What falls on the mentor is availability. What falls on the mentor is what falls on the mentor is the resources and the, and the recommendations for reading or methods or techniques or outlets or these other things, right? Those that falls on the mentor. So a lot of the mentor mentee relationships break down is the lack of understanding of the roles and responsibilities in that relationship because mm -hmm. the mentor has the resource or the content that the mentee needs. The mentee needs to demonstrate how important the information or those resources are by their commitment to being able to develop the relationship. And then once you get to the tipping point, that's when it becomes more of a balance back and forth where the mentor now is also participating in, hey, this random thing's coming up. I think this would be a great opportunity for you to learn. Come with me, mm. if that makes sense. Sometimes no, it does. We don't manage expectations effectively going into these things or exploring these things. It is falls on the mentee to be the frequent, consistent driver of the touch points and interactions in that relationship. Yeah, i.e. If, if you're the one that needs help, you're the right. one that drives it. If, if you need the help, you drive the conversation. I think there's also something to be said about um, just the energy that a good mentee brings. I think, you know, the I, I saw this and, and I was, all, you know, a little bit perplexed by it when we were working out together when we first started. And, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, nowhere near the level of fitness that, that you were in. Um, but you know, you spent the time to teach me a lot, you know, whether, whether it was a particular lift or, uh, or a particular technique or nutrition or whatever it was, um, you know, there's, as, as I've gotten older and I'm in the teaching, um, yeah. side, there's so much excitement that comes from somebody who wants to learn what you're passionate right. about. Because you're right. just like you're 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 ready to just scream about it, um, <laughs> right? Right. As, as some as somebody who has some of some of that background, so I think you know a lot of times people people think that they don't bring anything to the table, but you are also re-energizing uh, a mentor if you actually have that passion. But you know, taking taking the back seat when you need the help, um, right. you know, is is a no no. So uh, when it when it comes to the weaknesses, then. You know, you mentioned yeah. the, the that personality is is more of a component. Um, you know, what what type of lessons have you learned uh, when it comes to those mentors? And then, uh, I guess before we jump into that, do, do your do your mentors vary in terms of how far ahead of you they are? One thousand percent. One thousand percent. Life is a spectrum, so I try to cover that spectrum. <laughs> like yeah 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 they vary in age they vary um gender they vary regionally like i yes yes i try to 
as I try, I'm a big proponent of the understanding of diversity and inclusion when it comes to that aspect of things as well. Uh, I do not want my mentors to all look alike, sound alike, be alike. Um, all of them are different, um, different points. Some, you know, as you know, some of them are even some are in the retired state, former C-suite, uh, all the way to people who are relatively close to me in position. Um, that's definitely, definitely a factor. Always, I definitely try to make sure um, I'm open because I'm. How do you identify a good mentor? I think that's one of the big things, right? What if, that's all I really care about is identifying a, a good mentor. And the way I can say that is it depends on what you need and what you're looking for. Um, but for me, like I'm a big proponent of someone that is a great teacher. Um, and mentors who have achieved a level of mastery of their skill sets and their positions, I mean, and what they do, teaching is easy. Um, that's how you can tell a master is that they can teach and explain things um, in a relatively easy way for you to understand. They can simplify the complex, um, not only because they've seen it before, but because they actually have gone through the process and the experience of having to uh, solve that problem or you know go through what what is occurring. Um, so yeah, so I think you need to really like, so that's something that I spend a lot of time on is like really understanding what does a good mentor mean to me individually and then understand, especially on that weakness side, what type of personalities, right? I have I have a certain type of personality style, and it doesn't always con- going to connect or resonate with another person effectively. So you want to understand, the, regardless if you have different backgrounds, you can have similar personalities, and that's something that you connect over. You can have like you know you can have like hobbies. Those are where you can start to see personality fit is during the discussion around certain hobbies. During oh, what's your very favorite type of book to read? Those different types of things is where you find start to find those connection points with someone that's more on your weakness side, and you start to develop a relationship through that. And then through there, you start to hear different things about, okay, when it came to me working on developing my understanding of commercialization, these were the books that I were reading. See, and that was where those nuggets start to drop out. And then, okay, this is the person that I point to when I'm looking at building out a, a, a corporate structure or a corporate entity for a product rollout. And that's where you start to really glean from this person that is in a different discipline than you, that has a different skill set than you, but the personalities are similar. Because now they're starting to like talk your language, but they're talking about something completely different. But you understand it because it's in your language, if that makes sense. No, it does. Um, what What advice do you have for, um, you know, I, I, I was I was in this position. And the reason I ask is, you know, you, you've always, as long as I've known you, been championing uh, mentorship. Um, what advice do you have for people who... who um, they, they really want a mentor, but, you know, they, they feel like they don't bring something to the table. And, I, I, you know, I mentioned the energy thing, um, but, but where, where would you recommend people get started in terms of uh, something that's practical that they can do? Because I, I think every, everything that you said um, is, is really, uh, you know, helpful in, in terms of once you have a mentor, or, or, or even, or even getting to the point that, you know, you, you, you're, you're, um, in, in contact with them, but how, how do you, how do you establish initial contact? I think where, where I sometimes have difficulty is, you know, I've done it a few, I've done it so many times before that it's easy and the concept of rejection, I'm, I'm just kind of cool with, um, uh, but, but when, when you're in experience with that, you know, sending somebody a cold message on LinkedIn, or, you know, whatever it is, uh, can seem like a really daunting task. Right, right. Um, so it depends on your level of comfortability. Um, so, I mean, there's different ways um, to do it. Uh, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. 
Uh, so some scenarios, if you played through, say you're an undergrad um, and you want to, you know, you're looking for mentor opportunities. Like, let's be practical about your approach to doing this, uh, especially from an engineering standpoint. So you look, like, so you have your professors, which are automatic resource to you, but you want those relationships to get to another level, especially now we're talking career. We're not just talking about academic type stuff. So you start to explore, okay, what professors have had uh, industry experience um, that you have or within your network? And then so you start to, you know, do they have an opportunity to work in their lab? So you, then you go work in that professor's lab and you start to develop a relationship with them as one of your undergraduate researchers, right? And then you start to develop that, you know, through that, that creates an avenue for you to start to develop that that touch point of mentorship. And through that aspect, you start to have different discussions with this professor who's mentoring you is also your professor and also your, uh, you know, you're doing undergraduate research for them. Then you start asking them questions, okay, about industry. Okay, and then they'll say, uh, ideally, then they'll say, okay, oh, yeah, I have this friend that's working at such and such right now doing this. You know, I actually, I'll do, I'll do an introduction for you. And the thing is that what makes the most, right? So you have this initial mentor that's within your local reach, that's practical, that's a, is an easy touch point. You can start to develop that relationship with and also start to get tangible outcomes and results via doing the research. You maybe. Or, you you maybe know them already. Correct. Correct. Yeah. It could be already within your network, right? You just haven't explored your own network enough to be able to get that breakthrough contact that you need or looking for when it comes to your career or the industry or whatever. And I say, okay, and I'll send this email for you or this introduction for you and you just follow up. So just make sure you follow up and that's the way to go about it. Another way to do it is, okay, so say that there's an opportunity for you to attend conferences, right? Um, that's where that's networking one on one, right? So as you go into conferences, you know whether you're going to participate or you're just there to take in information. You want to be introducing yourself. That's what that 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 environment is for the networking. Um, so you want to take in like or have an idea of who's who, who's doing what. There's key people that are already going to be there that are already outlined and identified, and you let them know. Via that conversation, hey, I'm, I'm probably going to follow up with you on LinkedIn. If you can't get their contact information, all right, then and there. Because that's kind of like where we're at right now. Okay, I'll just follow up with you on LinkedIn. And just make sure you do the most important thing. You follow up. It's the way I've seen a lot of these relationships actually break down. It's not necessarily in the introduction or the touch point. It's in the follow-up. Is that mm-hmm. someone, <laughs> they meet each other and they say, okay, they're, and the mentor doesn't say outright, I'll mentor you. They say, okay, let's keep in touch. And they share their contact information and the other person, the, the potential mentee didn't pick up on the cue that mm. this person is willing to share their time with you if you follow up. So it's happening in a lot of different sort of ways, especially when you have someone that's more senior to you engaging in your history. Okay, what's your background? Okay, mm. and where do you work now? Okay, and what are you doing next? Okay, and how do you, and, okay, and it's a great conversation, but the yeah, mentee like I, I, you know, the, the mentor is not going to reach out and say, Hey, can you meet so I can give you advice? <laughs> yeah, correct. Correct. So it's it's happening more than people realize. They're just not picking up on it. And the opportunities are more available to them than they realize. They're just not, they're not mining their local environment effectively enough to be able to, to branch out and reach out into the greater uh into those greater opportunities. And so, and then when people are looking for, you know, and of course, if you were looking for those those other types of mentors that you want to be able to like, you know, just point to and name drop and everything like that. Um, reaching out to them cold. Um, I don't, I tend not to, uh, I see, I don't tend to see a whole lot of positive response to that, um, but it can happen. I'm not saying don't do it. It can happen. 
Um, but that comes back to the positioning that are you attending the conferences that they're speaking at? Are you attending? Are you listening into their podcast? Are you calling into their podcast? Are you doing these other things so that when the opportunity presents itself, you're in a position to potentially be this person's mentee? Are you going to the school that they went to so that you can get access to them through their alumni network? Those different types of things. Are you tapping into the alumni network um, in general at your school? one of the most underutilized resources there is in um, secondary education in America is an undergraduate understanding how to navigate the alumni network, <laughs> especially within a given physician, uh, position or role where yeah. it's a plethora. It's, those are like the automatic ones. So, say one of the undergrads at USC at South Carolina reaches out to me about a petroleum role, right? I'm not, I'm not doing petroleum. <laughs> I don't do petroleum stuff. However, because of what I've done and, and the different things I've done in my career, I've met petroleum people. And some of them are my friends now. So I can be like, oh, I can't really answer your question, but I'm going to um, send you a con- I'm going to send, send an email for you to my friend. Just follow up with them. If that makes sense. It does. And, and um, it just because, you know, it's like an action breeds clarity type thing. Uh, if, if, if you're, if you're struggling with, with getting started, just start doing something and it can be as, as easy as, 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 as some of the things that you mentioned and as hard as some of, of, of the things that you mentioned. Um, uh, how, how can people reach you? How can people reach me? Um, definitely. Yeah. I'm, uh, so I'm on LinkedIn, um, R-I-C-K. Um, DOE on LinkedIn. So definitely you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place to catch me at this point in time. Excellent. Well, really, really grateful to, to have had you on, uh, Rick. I'm sure you're going to be a repeat guest. Um, All right, bro.